I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. This week on the podcast, I'm talking to Stephen Hamilton, an artist and arts educator living and working in Boston. Stephen's work incorporates Western and African techniques, blending figurative painting and drawing with resist dyeing, weaving, and wood carving. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today, Stephen. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Can you start out by introducing yourself and sharing your journey towards becoming an artist? Um, so uh, my name is Stephen Hamilton. Uh, I am a mixed media artist, multimedia artist who's uh, living and working in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm also an arts educator. Um, I've been fascinated by uh, the creative process and art for my entire life, as long as I can remember. Um, I grew up in a community that was very much filled with art. I'm a native of Roxbury, which is um, a historically black uh, community in Boston. So I grew up around um, a lot of public art, specifically murals, that were um, very much geared towards empowering and educating community. So that had a very long um, and very impactful uh, influence on my trajectory as an artist. Um, I work uh, as um, an assistant professor in the illustration department at MassArt. Um, I, which is the school I graduated from. Um, and I also work at Artward Bound, which is the high school bridge program there. Um, I became very interested in textile art while I was still in college. Um, but I didn't really start pursuing that as part of my artistic practice until, um, through an organization called Arts Connect International, I had the opportunity to live and work at the Nikkei Center for Art and Culture in um, Lagos, Oshogbo, and Ogidi, Ijumu, Nigeria. So when I was there, I was learning traditional wood carving, weaving, and dyeing. And I was le- learning traditional weaving on the upright uh, women's loom. So I was learning how to weave uh, ashofi, um, which is a traditional weaving of the Yoruba people in southern Nigeria. It's also um, the same loom is used by the Igbo, Igbera, um, Edo, and French-speaking people of those same regions. Wow. And who was teaching you to weave on those looms and, and what techniques were you learning with them? So um, I learned from a weaver named um, Agnes Umeche, Miss Agnes, as I would call her. And Miss Agnes was actually from a town called Okene. Okene is a town in um, Kogi State, um, which is, Ogidi is also in Kogi State, but Ogidi is a Yoruba town. And Okene is a um, Igbera town. She's Igbera. Um, she uh, is from a long line of weavers, and Okene is famous uh, for its weaving, specifically um, on the um, upright loom. And what they're specifically known for is they, they weave traditional um, Iberia textiles, but they also weave um, commercial textiles, which adopt patterns from all over Nigeria. So you'll see them mix and rematch. Uh, mix and match um, traditional patterns from different weaving traditions, including men's weaving traditions from all over Nigeria. And they're famous for making textiles with uh, rayon. Um, it's a very thriving center for traditional weaving. You'll see like a lot of uh, yarn at the local markets. Um, and she was very much responsible for um, trying to re... Um, so Chief Nika Okundai, who herself is a weaver, so people know about um, uh, uh, Mama Nike, Chief Nike, who runs the Nike Center for Arts and Culture. She's also a traditional weaver. So she was trained in weaving by her great-grandmother. Um, and she actually hired Miss Agnes to um, help her sort of reinstate and reestablish weaving in her village. Um, because there were still weavers in her village, but they weren't um, very active um, in weaving. So the idea is that she would come back and work with 
um, traditional weavers in Ogidi to um, rebuild um, this weaving tradition that was like once thriving um, in Ogidi when um, uh, Chief Nike was younger. Hmm. And how did you find yourself incorporating this weaving into your body of work as an artist? So it was it was something that was very special and very emotional for me. So when I was in um, Ogidi Jumu, it's a small town. Um, and uh, I, I'm very much also fascinated with history and the relationship that traditional textiles have um, in relationship to Black history and textile industries as they relate to Black history as somebody who is Black American. So the town um, was known for, uh, like all over Nigeria, um, especially the region where they're from, is a place plentiful in cotton and indigo. And those are two important crops that were used and exploited in the Americas. So there was, um, th- of course, we know about cotton, but indigo was a very important um, cash crop um, in um, uh, South Carolina and uh, Louisiana. And the people who were responsible for processing and growing that indigo were enslaved Africans who most often were from indigo producing regions. Uh, so for me, it was it was um, learning that and being in that atmosphere where you see people spinning cotton, where um, I was also learning the processing of indigo. Um, it felt like it was uh, an act of reclamation. There was something very healing and um, uh, meditative about the process of weaving. And I felt like I was reclaiming, reclaiming this ancestral knowledge being there. So it was something that was very emotional and also very spiritual for me. Um, being there, and I felt like it was something that was very important to be incorporated in the work. So when I was there, um, learning traditional dyeing and weaving, I was taking the weaving that I was making and the weaving that um, I had hired other women to make, um, and I was dyeing it. So I was learning traditional dyeing. So I was dyeing yarns, I was dyeing cloth, I was weaving my own cloth as well, and I was doing these paintings on the cloth, and those paintings were paintings that were very much steeped in um, images important in Yoruba religion, traditional Yoruba religion. So I was painting images of Orisha, who are the deities of the Yoruba religion. Um, also, like paintings that were exploring elements of Yoruba philosophy on these textiles. So when I came back to the United States, um, I wanted to sort of continue that work. So like the Founders Project and Stitch into Memory are sort of in that same line of incorporating these um, traditional uh, textiles and techniques and making textiles into my own art-making practice and also creating these collaborative um sort of initiatives where I'd be teaching that to people as well. Yeah, I would love to talk more about both of those projects and pieces that you just mentioned. Can you tell me first about the Founders Project and about your work with Boston Public School students to make that? So the Founders Project was um, an initiative to paint um, Boston Public School high school students as the legendary progenitors of Western West Central African ethnic groups. So... um, the uh, the project involved me interviewing um, Boston Public School high school students and asking them um, about what they have learned about African history, um, things that they wanted to learn about African history, um, what are images, uh, prominent images that they see of Africa in the news and media, and also asking them how they would like to be represented. How do they feel um, they would like to be represented? And what I ended up doing is um, I took textiles that me and women in um Nigeria had made um, while I was living there. And I also was um, creating new textiles with um, my students in um, the United States. So uh, Stitch Into Memory, like I was training um, students in traditional weaving and dyeing, and I hired hired some of those students back to help me um, weave 
um, these uh, textiles that became the canvases for these paintings of these Boston public school students. So um, I was painting them as these legendary progenitors of West and West Central African ethnic groups. And I was also carving um, these frames um, and also incorporating like punch work and other elements of metal work um, into, these, into these frames um, and creating these life-size installations that were incorporating traditional weaving and sculpture art. So I was painting these students and I was carving these frames and then also me and my former students were weaving the textiles that would be the surfaces for these pieces. It's such an incredible and moving body of work and it's it's neat to hear how you took your learning from your travels and were bringing that back into Boston. I'm curious, how um, how did the kids react? Were they familiar and already working with textiles or was this new for them? Or So the students that I was working with um, to make the textiles, I just want to be very clear about this part. Um, those were students that I had worked with um, in, when I was doing Stitched into Memory, which was a project I did in 2017. So I was only working with um, five studio assistants. So um, three, the four studio assistants that were assisting me um, with the weaving and the dyeing, like they were in college at that time because they were, I had, I had taught them weaving and dyeing um, through Stitched into Memory. They didn't have... Um, any on they, they didn't know how to weave or um, do resist dyeing before that, but they had learned through the Stitch into Memory program. Um, the fifth um, studio assistant I was working with actually was the only one who was a professional weaver beforehand and the only one that wasn't one of my students. He's an awesome, awesome um, uh, uh, weaver and textile artist who's actually from Indonesia. Hmm. Um, and his name is uh, Alexander Sebastianis. He's um, Hartanto. And um, he was um, somebody who I met through one of the students who I had um, hired back um, through uh, uh, through um, uh, Stitch into Memory. So one of my former students that I had worked with since they were like teenagers, I had taught him weaving. And he said, oh, I have a friend who's also a weaver. Um, and he, I'm sure he'd be um, happy to help you out. So um, he was the only person who wasn't from that group that I hired um, back to assist with the weaving. And he made the only weaving that um, was done on a treadle loom, um, uh, which was used to create the um, portrait of Bajamongo, um, since the traditional weaving from that that region is made on a treadle loom. So he was the the only person who I had hired back who wasn't from that original group of students. Hmm. And where is this artwork displayed? And also where can people see it online if they are not in Boston? So you can see it at my website um, on uh, my website is uh, uh, project.com I-T-A-N project.com. Um, and if you if you type in, in the menu, uh, the Founders Project, you'll be able to see um, all of the installations up and you can see some examples of me and my students like working on mm. them, uh, doing like the weaving and the dyeing and the stitching and preparing yarns. Um, and then you uh, can also see uh, close-ups of the finished images. Mm. Okay. And I will also link to that in the show notes of the episode so people mm-hmm. can find that easily. And um, you mentioned a couple times Stitched Into Memory, which it sounds like I should have asked you about first because it was happening earlier in time. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about that project? So Stitched Into Memory was funded by, oh, and also I have to say that uh, the Founders Project was funded through um, an organization called Now and There. It's an awesome organization that um, provides support for Boston artists 
um, who are uh, who are um, creating temporary public art installations in the city. So um, now and there, uh, through their accelerator program, I got the funding in order to do that project. So um, I had wanted to do that project for a very long time, and it was because of now and there that I was able to do it. So I just wanted to make sure that I, I said that that this was made possible through them. Um, the uh, the uh, um, System to Memory Project was made possible through the New England Foundation for the Arts, uh, through their Creative Cities program. I got a grant um, to do, uh, I partnered with uh, Friends of Four Point Channel um, to work with uh, uh, students, um, early college and high school students um, from Boston uh, to teach them traditional weaving and dyeing. And that's actually where I taught those studio assistants that I was working with traditional weaving and dyeing. So um, I was teaching them through uh, um, an intensive, like we met three days a week um, uh, over the, from uh, March all the way until June. Um, and we were, uh, I was teaching them traditional weaving, dyeing, and embroidery. And we created a um, almost 80-foot uh, um, textile installation that was made out of uh, resist-dyed canvas um, and hand-woven textiles. And where was that? Where was that displayed? So that was displayed at um, Atlantic Wharf. That was displayed at two ninety Congress Street, and um, it was a. You can also see that you can see images of it um, on the uh, on my website. It it hung from the top balcony of the um, second floor, and it hung all the way down to the lobby, and then it also extended onto the ground. I um, mean, it was made out of um, textile. It was made out of canvas. It was dyed using um, tie and stitch resist dyeing uh, with uh, cola nut and indigo. Um, and then we were, we were embroidering on it. And then we also were incorporating handwoven textiles that had been, um, uh, that were using like brocading techniques, but also had been over dyed as well. Hmm. I'm so curious about the process of creating works of art with groups of people. And I'm curious how you think about you know, working with your students to create a vision for the project and to put that together and, you know, how you make decisions together, if you're interested in sharing that. So what I try to do with Stitch into Memory is like, Stitch into Memory is almost like a quilt top. And that that really helped because what that meant was that students were responsible for designing and creating their own pieces. So their piece of that Stitch into Memory was designed by them. So I taught them how to do the resist dyeing. I taught them how to do the embroidery. I taught them how to do uh, the weaving, but they were coming up with these patterns like by themselves because they were creating their own individual pieces. And then we were, we were stitching them and creating, and we, I sewed them all together. So in addition to me, like dyeing the, some of the pieces and weaving some of the pieces, they were creating their own pieces and then we were all putting them together and arranging them together. So that, that was, that, that, I, I like that format because that way um, I give them creative control um, while still being able to um, arrange it in a way which it is, uh, in which it's cohesive. Um, and the reason why it remains cohesive is because the material and the techniques are the same. Um, so uh, that was my way of working with Stitch into Memory. And I, I like that too, because it also, it stays with them longer because they're making those creative decisions themselves. You see what I mean? So they're, they're the yeah. ones who are designing these, these, the, these pieces themselves after learning um, the techniques. Yeah. 
I'm curious what draws you to your work as an arts educator. You mentioned growing up in Roxbury that you were always surrounded by lots of art and public art. And I'm wondering if, if that's part of it and, and what, what that, inspires that. Um, that is part of it. So like there was a there was a there's a sense of generosity uh, to the mural art that I saw growing up. Um, because you're creating, you're seeing this work that was created for that community, with that community as the audience, um, and it was it was something that really, and also growing up in a black community myself, uh, people who are creating work talking about our experiences and empowering our people that was made specifically for them. So it's not work which is made specifically for the gaze of the other. It's made specifically for that community. It's made to empower that community to engage that community. Um, and that's something that, that I thought was very important and very empowering. Um, and I, I always wanted my work to have that same function. And I also always wanted the work to have that same um, ability to spark curiosity um, in people and also to educate people and for people to see them, see that work and see themselves, but also have an aspect of curiosity and learning more about the work and learning more about themselves through the work. Um, I, I'm very fascinated by history. I'm very fascinated by um, uh, cultural continuity and also how cultures will change and morph yet still um, retain certain um, foundational elements. So a lot of my work is talking about bridging those gaps. So like even with Stitch into Memory, like it's it's using these traditional African um, textile traditions, using these techniques from West and West Central Africa, but also it has a familiarity um, in terms of anybody who's seen a quilt. You know, there's an aspect of it that has that familiarity to anybody who's seen a quilt, especially if you grew up seeing um, uh, Afro-American quilts. So there's like this direct reference that exists there in terms of bridging um, to the viewer, bridging this this um, tradition that is from pre-colonial Africa and is still practiced in Africa now to textile traditions that are important in the Amer- in the Americas as well. You know, that, that also carries over in the figurative painting. I'm using contemporary people um, and painting these ancient figures. I'm, I'm referencing this material culture through these living um, everyday people um, that I'm encountering in my community. So um, how are we um, using this as a, as a window into the past, but also as a mirror to our present? Um, so that's, that's something that's um, very important to me, like how I'm engaging people in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what sorts of community reactions have you had to your installations and pieces? People have enjoyed them. I remember I was walking like that because I also live in Rocks, but I live very close to the bowling building where it's at. And someone stopped me and said, hey, you're the guy who did those paintings. I really I see those every day. I really enjoy them. Like, keep keep doing that work. And like, I didn't know him. He's just somebody from the community who just like saw it and really enjoyed it. And like um, some of my students, uh, some of the students who use that, um, who modeled for the paintings like they were turning it into their like profile pictures and like it was like great it was something that that was like really i feel is is that that that's that that i thought was um really important that they were able to really recognize and see themselves in the work that was something that was very important to me yeah i'm curious what you've learned from your students recently um so what was when we were doing the interviews, that was when I learned the most because like in addition to them being incredibly, um, and these students weren't students that I had worked, some of them were students that I had, had worked with before, but a lot of them were students who I had never like really worked with or engaged with um, outside of those um, meetings, those interviews. 
Um, but what I learned from those interviews is like how inquisitive they were and how thirsty they were for this knowledge, how thirsty they were for learning about um, this history um, and all of the fascinating things that they were fascinated by, by this history. So um, that sort of like gave me this charge to, um, to really continue doing the work and try to continue to find ways in which it can be made accessible to them. Um, because it's not something that, it's something that, they, that people want to know. People want to know these things. People want to see these things. Uh, so that was something that I learned um, from, from working with them, like, just like how, how strong that thirst for knowledge and information is and like how, how, how much they're questioning the, the systems in which they, they endure every day. They're very much actively questioning um, these uh, education systems that neglect this history. You know, they're very aware that this exists and that people, that they're not getting this information and they're not learning these things from these, um, these systems that they're a part of, you know? So, um, you know, people are smart. Young people are very intelligent and they, they can smell it. (laughs) They can, they can, they can, they can very much smell it. And that was something that was very reaffirming, um, like witnessing, um, from these young people that I had the privilege of working with. Yeah, I I would love to dive more into into that. So you write on your website that one of the things you aim to do with your work is to address the persistent lack of positive multidimensional representations of African Africa and African diaspora and cultural discourses. Yes. And I think that's part of what you were just touching on of what the students can smell and I'm just curious if you can talk more about what drives your interest in this and how you explore those themes in your work and how you work with students to explore those in their own lives. So what, what in my own work, what I'm very much interested in is I'm interested in um, aesthetics and philosophies of pre-colonial Africa and um, how they create these sort of formative elements of um, Black culture in the Americas. So um, the idea is that there is, in, in terms of Black culture and aesthetics, there's not one specific like code. There's not one um, specific like set of rules which like govern like blackness. It is um, an incredibly complex, ever-changing family of like aesthetics um, of infinite complexity. So there's like infinite manifestations of it because if we're thinking about the African diaspora, you have multiple very diverse cultures that had their these very fascinating interactions with each other in pre-colonial Africa throughout time, throughout like the massive amount of time that was pre-colonial Africa. And then you have them being remixed um, and uh, syncretized not only with um, European and indigenous um, influences in the Americas, but syncretized with each other. You have um, uh, new identities being created by the melding of different African identities together through trauma, through shared trauma. So with that, Black culture becomes like a manifestation of these incredibly complex um, systems of aesthetics that are deeply rooted in a myriad of different African um, uh, civilizations. So when I'm creating my work, I'm trying to create um, images that represent um, certain uh, elements of Black culture which may be familiar to us as people of African descent um, and exploring the origins of that within these elements of Black thought and aesthetics in pre-colonial Africa. So when I look at like how I'm um, framing um, these works um, in like the Founders Project or how I'm framing these works in um, uh, the graphic novel that I created, I'm, I'm referencing not only pre-colonial African material culture, but I'm referencing elements of um, pre-colonial African culture such as the cool aesthetic. Like what does that mean? 
What is the cool aesthetic and what does that mean in this pre-colonial African context? How does it permeate um, the religious and also visual culture there? And by creating this representation, which is also familiar to us in the diaspora, um, you know, we're seeing that connection that exists beyond slavery, that exists before that. So we see how that exists, like it's part of an ancient tradition, which has through, through multiple like iterations of transformation, continues to exist in our experience as Black people today. Um, a, a analogy that I talk about too is like um, with even something as simple as hair. So like we, we think about hair um, as being incredibly important um, in Black experiences in the Americas, no matter where you live. But that also is incredibly important in pre-colonial Africa. Uh, if we look at the Sande um, Society and the Sowa, uh, the Sowa Wui, which is the Sowa Masks of the Secret Society that, that is run by women, and it's the only women's secret society in Africa that uses masquerade traditions. Like, there are plenty of women's societies in Africa, but that is the only one in where women wear the mask. One of the most important parts of the mask is the hair, the beautiful and elaborately um, um, uh, uh, carved uh, braided hairstyles. And those same hairstyles we can see, you know, are very familiar to Black people in the Caribbean, in Latin America, in the United States. That, that importance of that um, to women in that region as symbolizing not only their beauty, but how that they have their life in order. Having their hair in order represents that they have their life in order, their mastery over their lives and their mastery over the world around them. And how that's such a deep metaphor for like having your having everything together, having your life together, mm. and then um, seeing how they talk about the incredible importance of hair and um, the process in which these women do to take care of their hair and grow their hair and braid their hair, and understanding how that relates to our experiences growing up as Black people and the importance of our hair, and how that's manifested in this element of uh, uh, African society, a women's society in Africa, where that that is an element of um, I'm not only like beauty, but moral correctness. And that's such a deep element of that culture that still survives in us in our experiences as Black Americans today. Like it's, it's something that is, is, is fascinating to me. That's something that's just part of an everyday experience um, is, is very much a part of our worldview, which extends beyond not only like me, but my grandparents and my great-grandparents and like generations that existed before them. Um, I talk about, like, uh, in my graphic novel with uh, Shango, like, I have, like, all... Shango is a major character in the graphic novel that I, I, I did. And Shango is a deity of, of, of fire, um, thunder, and lightning. And he also wears, like, elaborate braided hairstyles. And you see um, his priests and devotees in Nigeria wearing these um, elaborate braided hairstyles because once you initiate it under Shango, male or female, you don't cut your hair to the scalp anymore. So, like, the idea of Shango, who's this god and this king, like, the, the image of him sitting on one of the porches in his palace and his, his wife, Oya, braiding his hair is such a powerful image to me because that's a memory that me, like, as a teenager remembers, like, doing that and people braiding my hair, like, sitting on a, a, a front porch. Like, the fact that that memory is also, like, experience tied to gods and kings is something that's fascinating to me. Even that, and that everyday mundane element of it is, is so much tied to like this grand tradition. 
is um, very fascinating to me. And what I want my work to do is to talk about that and to show those connections and show those the, how this is part of this grand um, tradition, these grand um, worldviews. And I think that it's very important um, in, in, in really rethinking and restructuring identity for people of African descent. How do we take control over um, understanding our identity, understanding who we are? Um, what part of our identity exists beyond um, the, the white gaze? What part of our identity ex exists beyond the projections um, that are put on us um, by the other? Like the idea of black identity being tied to suffering. There's so much part, so many elements of black identity which are tied to concepts of what it means to be human in these pre-colonial African cultures. And they survive today in our everyday experiences as black people that exist outside of, um, of, of subjugation and oppression. So that's something that I think is very important and very crucial in understanding who you are. So that's why I center it so much in my work. I really appreciate you you sharing all of that. Um, I'm I'm curious what is on the horizon for you. What sorts of collaborations and projects you're you're cooking up that are coming up with all of these themes and ideas? So I'm 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 still in the studio. I'm working um, I'm working on another series of works um, that are, are actually exploring um, elements of I'm I'm exploring elements of uh, masculine and feminine power in pre-colonial African hmm. um, artwork. So hmm. like heavily referencing um, pre-colonial African sculpture and textile traditions, again, painted on traditional textiles, incorporating wood carving um, and weaving, which are very gendered arts, like dyeing, wood carving, weaving can be very gendered depending on where in West Africa um, you're looking at the tradition. So doing a lot of weaving, um, doing a lot of wood carving, a lot of dyeing, which is something that's very healing for me. Um, so I'm exploring that in this, uh, this next body of work. Um, a friend of mine who, um, is, um, also an artist who works with, um, Gimp Lanyarding, um, who is, um, an amazing, like, burgeoning artist. Um, I'm hoping to do some collaborations, um, with him over the course of this year. Um, I, I'm still teaching and working, um, and I, uh, I'm, I'm just, like, very interested in creating work and just continue to, to create work. And where can people go online and on social media to learn more about you and your work? So please feel free to follow me at, <laughs> at The Art of Stephen Hamilton on Instagram, um, Stephen with a PH. Um, yeah. Great. <laughs> we will link to that in the show notes too and also from our Instagram account. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you have any closing advice or words of wisdom for weavers and textile artists. You shared a lot of advice and wisdom throughout this, but if there's anything you'd want to wrap up with. Um, weaving and textiles are incredibly important. And I will say this to all weavers um, and, and textile artists. I, I feel like oftentimes textile artists in general get marginalized. Mm -hmm. um, the work that you do is beautiful and important and craft is beautiful and important and relevant. And it's become... We, we think of it as not as important because it's um, mundane, because it's part of our everyday lives, like knitting and, and sewing has become part of like everyday lives, but that only makes it so much more beautiful and ubiquitous. What I will say specifically for um, textile artists of African descent 
um, I think that it's important that you continue doing that work and doing this work because this is part of our cultural inheritance. And it's something which is very much tied to our identities in so many fascinating ways. So I know that there's a lot of like lack of recommendation and you may, may feel like alone and by yourself, like as the only one in your fibers department, or like you might feel like you're not, um, you're, you're not um, a, a, a part of like um, mainstream conversations, but the work that you're doing is incredibly important and very much tied to um, our identities and who we are. And I strongly encourage you to continue doing that work. Um, because it's important. It's incredibly important. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your stories today. I really learned a lot from you and enjoyed talking to you, Stephen. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap. To see photos of Stephen and the work he discussed in our conversation, you can go to www gistyarn.com slash episode hyphen 61. That's G-I-S-T-Y-A-R-N dot com slash episode 61. You'll also find links there to Stephen's website and social media. Next week on the podcast, LaShawn is speaking with Liz Spencer. Liz is a natural dyer who advocates for slow fashion and sustainable textiles. She has a variety of growing experiences, from farming organic natural dyes in between rows of a family heritage orange grove in Southern California, to community-centric projects on the sidewalks of Brooklyn, New York. So stay tuned next week for that episode. And until next time, happy weaving! Happy weaving!